Well, happy Reformation Sunday. We love the Reformation around here, really because we love gospel truth. We love truth that is ultimately the stuff of life. I mean, one of the main ways you think about what is the Reformation about, we talk a lot about the five solas, the five alones, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, ultimately to the glory of God alone. I mean, just think about those for a minute. Many of you probably just take them for granted, but the fact that we are saved not by faith plus works, but by faith and faith alone we're saved, not by grace plus a little bit of merit, no, but by grace alone and not by Christ plus something. Christ doesn't need any help. He doesn't need no co-redemptrix. He doesn't need any supplementation at all. It's Christ alone. And how do we learn about this? Well, Scripture and Scripture alone. We don't need the opinions of men and the tradition of man. No, we have what we need here in the inscripturated Word of God, and all this redounds ultimately to the glory of God alone. So this morning I want us to take a break from the Gospel of Matthew and consider justification by faith alone. Sola fide, faith alone, a crucial doctrine for you to know. And I want to ask, what is it and why does it matter? What does sola fide, faith alone, mean anyway? In terms of church history, it was a slogan that arose at the time of the Protestant Reformation. And the focus was on the doctrine of justification. Sola fide means justification by faith Alone, And I really want you to get this vital doctrine. I want you to get it here. You have to have it here first. But ultimately that you would get it here. John Piper says, History bears witness. The preaching of this truth creates, reforms, and revives the church. And that's been my prayer for you this week as we reflect on sola fide. It's taught mostly in Galatians and Romans, but it's, it's mentioned elsewhere. The noun, we're a little, it's a little tricky here because in English, the noun is righteousness and the verb is justify. But in the original, it's the same root. It's, it's dikaiosune and dikaiao. But we hear righteousness and justify and don't readily realize it's the same word. But the noun occurs 57 times. It's not a small theme in the scripture. The verb justify occurs 27 times. So what does it mean? Simply put... Justification means to be declared in the right. It's a law court image. Just think of the judge dropping the gavel. Not guilty. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Thomas Adams put it this way. Sins are so remitted as if they've never been committed. But not only that. That'd be amazing enough. But not only that. We're not just left with a blank slate. See, God doesn't require a blank slate. God is holy and God requires perfection. So justified, just as if I'd never sinned, but also just as if I had always obeyed. Two realities happen when we trust Christ. Our sins are forgiven negatively and positively. We're counted righteous in Christ. Justification is the removal of guilt. And the reckoning or the counting or the imputation of righteousness by faith and faith alone. Here's how R.C. Sproul puts it. Justification refers to a legal action by God which he declares a person just in his sight. Justification to be declared in the right. Sins forgiven, counted righteous. Through faith and faith alone. Our sin is counted 
or credited or reckoned or imputed to Christ who had no sin. And his perfection, his obedience, his righteousness is imputed to us. Listen to the way 2 Corinthians 5 puts it. For our sake, God, he made him, Jesus, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus alone is righteous and our sin is transferred to Christ and his righteousness is transferred to us. The early church fathers rightly called this the wonderful exchange. Our sin for his righteousness. Our sins for Christ's righteousness. It's wonderful news. And again, how? Sounds great. How? How do we benefit from this great exchange? Sola fide. Faith alone. Flip over to Philippians chapter 3. We actually looked at this passage back in August, but it's just so clear. Let's look at it again here on Reformation Sunday. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Philippians 3, 3, let's read down to verse 9. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He lists some of his pedigree, some of which he was born with, some of which he earned. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If anyone were ever going to gain righteousness by the law, it was the Apostle Paul. It was Saul. And he shows that all that stuff that he had in the credit column is now moved to the debit column. And now what is his his goal? Not Not to gain righteousness, not to earn righteousness from the law, from his own. But no, instead, that which comes through faith, not works. The righteousness from God. It's a gift. This standing of righteousness that God requires, he gives to those who have faith. In Jesus, we trust Christ and are counted righteous by faith. Biblically, faith really has two elements. Again, a negative and a positive. It's got a a renunciation, negatively, and positively, a reliance. A renunciation and a reliance. We renounce any trust in our own performance. And we rely on Christ's life and death. That's what faith is. Faith is looking away from ourselves. It's looking outside of ourselves and finding it in Christ. Looking away from us and out to Christ with empty hands. F-A-I-T-H, faith. Forsaking all, 
I take him. We renounce self-righteousness to receive gift righteousness, which is why the church has sung, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Or another hymn, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Or another hymn, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. So faith is realizing Jesus must pay it all. Flip back a few books to the book of Romans. Again, Romans and Galatians, this is one of the main, if not the main theme of the book, justification by faith alone. That's why Romans and Galatians both were used inordinately by the Lord during the time of the Reformation to get this gospel truth back. It was always there. But it had been covered by years and years of bad Catholic doctrine. That's why the slogan of the Reformation is after darkness, light, post-Tenebros, lux. And the thesis of the book of Romans is right there in chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1, 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for because... It, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for, because, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He's saying, look, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Why? Because it's what God uses to save And it's where we find the righteousness of God. This gift, again, that we can't receive is from faith or faith. It's from faith from first to last. Flip over a page or two to Romans chapter 3. Paul basically repeats the thesis. If you know Romans 1 and 2 and 3 are about really how bad off humanity is, how dark and doomed we are, how sinful we are, we'll just pick up sort of the end there in chapter 3 verse 19. As he concludes his diatribe against fallen humanity, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You can't get there on your own is what he's saying. Verse 21. But now. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 4 verse 4. Now to the one who works. His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Crystal clear. It's a shame we ever lost this truth. We cannot be justified by our own doings, but we are justified by faith and faith alone. Not to the one who works. 
but to the one who believes, not to the godly. Notice that. God doesn't justify the godly. I think that's what the world thinks about Christianity. The text says God justifies the ungodly by faith and faith alone. Flip over to the book of Galatians, back to the right a few pages. Remember the context here. Galatians had started strong. They believed the gospel. They were doing well. And then some false teachers, some agitators come along and they say, well, you know, you've trusted Jesus. That's good. That's, that's JV. But if you really want to get to varsity, you need to add. You just need to add the works of the law. You're almost there. You're doing good. Jesus is, Jesus is necessary. He's just not sufficient. You need to add to his work. And so, unlike really every other letter in the New Testament, Paul comes out with the gloves on. Comes out very serious right in chapter 1. And you'll notice here, by the way, this is written to Christians. There's really two problems. Humanity has two problems. Number one, failing to obey God. And number two, relying on our obedience for favor with God. And so that's why they were prone. That's why we're prone. And so Paul's writing to sort it all out. Look in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. The word is anathema, damned. Verse 9. As we've said before, so now I say again, in case you didn't hear me, I was serious. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Isn't that fascinating? This goes to show you that Christianity unlike every other religion in the world, is built on not a man, but a message. Because the Apostle Paul himself says, if anyone else comes, even an angel from heaven, and tells you something contrary than what I told you, what is your response to be? Damnation. If an angel from heaven busts through this ceiling right here and says, Blake doesn't know what he's talking about. You're not justified by faith. You're justified by faith plus works. What are you to tell that angel? Go to hell. <laughs> Galatians 1.8, in case you didn't hear it, Galatians 1.10. If an angel or anyone else comes and preaches to you a gospel, I'm on cold medicine. I better be careful here. If an angel or anyone else comes to you and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. He says it two times because the Christian faith is built on a message, not a man. And you're justified by faith and faith alone. And don't let anyone come and tell you otherwise. Look at verse 11, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Well, clearly he's not trying to please man. <laughs> Or am I trying to please man? No, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a slave of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, it's not man's gospel. Ain't no man coming up with this gospel. It's contrary to human thinking. 
For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith alone, not faith plus works, not works, is what gives us a right standing with God. Flip over to Galatians chapter 2, and I want you to notice something. It's one verse, verse 16. But he's going to say the same thing three times. It's really important. I think the Spirit of God wants us to get this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There's number one. So, we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. There's number two. Because, number three, by works of the law, no one will be justified. And again, he's writing this to the church. We need to be reminded again and again and again. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness, if this right standing we need, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we can get there on our own, the cross is pointless. In this case, to help is to hurt. Jesus needs no help. To assist is to dilute. To add is actually to take away. If you try to add one cherry of self-contribution on top of Christ's finished work to be saved, you have to provide the whole Sunday. Here's how J. Gresson Machen puts it. Christ will do everything or nothing. And the only hope is to throw ourselves unreservedly on his mercy and trust him for all. Okay, that's what sola fide means. What is sola fide? Justified by faith alone, not by works of the law. Why is it important? Why is this important? Well, in many ways, I hope you already know, but I want to add to that. Four H's. Four H's. I know it's a little bit Baptist-y, but I'm trying to help you remember, remember what I'm saying here. History, heart, Heavy, happy. Why is it important? History, hearts, heavy, happy. Justification by faith alone is important first because of history. Here we are. We're Protestants. We're Baptists. We come out of the Protestant Reformation. We need to know why we are Baptists. Dietrich Bonhoeffer years ago said that we, land, we live in the land of Protestantism without the Reformation. May that not be the case here in this church. And there were a lot of reasons. The Roman Catholic Church, even Roman Catholic scholars will admit the Roman Catholic Church was in really bad shape at this time period. So there were a lot of reasons why the reformers ultimately broke away from the Roman Catholic Church. But justification by faith alone was the hallmark of the Reformation. It was the defining doctrine. It was the main issue. It was the chief insight of the Reformation. And all the various reformers who disagreed about a lot of things were of one voice on this doctrine. Luther said this doctrine is the head and cornerstone 
Speaking of justification by faith, it alone begets and nourishes and builds and preserves and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. He called it the first and chief article. He said, this doctrine can never be discussed and taught enough. If it's lost and perishes, the whole knowledge of truth and life and salvation is lost and perishes at the same time. He said, one cannot go soft or give way on this article, for then heaven and earth would fall. He went so far as to say that the article upon which the church stands or falls is justification by faith alone. He wasn't alone. John Calvin, coming a little bit later, said justification is the ground on which religion must be supported. He said, wherever the knowledge of it is taken away, the glory of Christ is extinguished, religion abolished, the church destroyed, and the hope of salvation utterly overthrown. Modern-day Reformed theologian J.I. Packer, the late Packer, said justification is like an atlas. It bears a whole world on its shoulders, the entire evangelical knowledge of God the Savior. And so justification is important for history, but more important than history is number two, it's the heart. It gets at the heart of the Christian faith. What do I mean by that? Well, justification by faith alone most clearly shows how Christianity is different than every other religion. You know, there really are only two religions. Really, two religions out there. Of all the various hundreds of religions out there, at the end of the day, you can boil them down to one of two. One says we're basically good people who need advice. Every other religion in the world, we're basically good Need a little advice. The gospel says we're helpless sinners who need news of salvation. Now what is the message? Is the message advice to take and do or news to hear and receive? Every other religion is do we ascend to God by our own performance? Or does God descend to us? There it is, two religions. Our ascent or his descent. Religion says you must obey to earn God's love. You obey and therefore you earn God's favor. The gospel says we earn God's favor and God's love through faith in what Jesus has done. And then therefore we obey. Two religions, really probably most helpfully illustrated in the last words of a couple of religious leaders. Buddha, strive unceasingly. Jesus, it is finished. And too many Christians miss this on the day to day. Too many believers don't understand justification by Faith alone. Too many Christians live with this if-then relationship with God. If I fill in the blank, then God will. If I, then God. But justification by faith alone calls us to live in a because-therefore. Not an if-then relationship, but a because-therefore relationship with God. Because he's forgiven me through Jesus, therefore I will live for him. 
You see, fundamentally, we need good news, not good advice. Not technique, not behavior management tips. Advice, that's counsel. News is a report of something that's happened. And the gospel is news, not advice. The message of the Bible is like the front page of the newspaper. Y'all remember those? It's the, the front page of the newspaper, not the advice column. It's telling us something's been done. To be sure, there's plenty of instruction in the Bible. But they flow out of the truth of justification by faith alone. Like ribs flowing out of the spine. Like sparks coming from the fire. Listen to the way uh, an old, a late seminary professor, this guy was at Gordon-Conwell in Boston, he sums it up. He's a historian, Richard Lovelace. It's a long quote, but I think he's right, so I want to share it with you. I share his burden here. He says, only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Many have so light an apprehension of God's holiness and of the extent and guilt of their sin that consciously they say little need for justification. Although below the surface of their lives, they're deeply guilt-ridden and insecure. Many others have a theological commitment to the doctrine of justification, but in their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for justification, drawing their assurance of acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of their conscious willful disobedience. Few know how to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Luther's platform. You are accepted. Looking outward in faith and claiming the holy, W-H-O-L-Y, the holy alien righteousness of Christ as the only ground for acceptance. Relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce increasing sanctification as faith is active in love and gratitude. In order for a pure and lasting work of spiritual renewal to take place within the church, multitudes within it must be led to build their lives on this foundation. This means that they must be conducted into the light of a full conscious awareness of God's holiness, the depth of their sin, and the sufficiency of the atoning work of Christ for their acceptance with God. Not just at the outset of their Christian lives, but in every succeeding Day. Oh, I think he's right on, and that's my burden, honestly, for you. I wonder, are you living out of the foundation of justification by faith every day? We will only be strong when we do that. This is why, friends, the church in America is so weak and anemic and impotent because nowadays churches only hear life hacks. Things you must do to make your life better. Five tips to an anxious free life. Ten tips to a better marriage. Five lessons to make your dog obey. On and on and on. Why is the church so weak? Because we don't hear anymore of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And therefore, we miss the sufficiency of Jesus. Now, we must preach Christ, believe Christ, preach it to ourselves. His finished work, his sufficiency to save. We've got to get this doctrine and we've got to keep hearing it because why? Because we just veer off. Our default mode 
is legalism. What's legalism? Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God through obedience to God. Seeking to achieve forgiveness from God through obedience to God. And because of the fall, friends, we're all hardwired to think we must perform to make God love us. Deep down, we all have this pull to perform, to prove ourselves based on what we do. Jesus says it's finished, but the old self, the old Adam says, well, hold up, not quite, not exactly. I need to add my peace. I need to finish the job. See, it's our natural setting because of the fall is self-salvation. That's why justification by faith is so contrary to new human thinking. It's not man's gospel. That's why we need it preached again and again and again. Justification by works. That's the natural religion of humanity since the fall. Salvation by self-effort. And so we've got to fight it. We're prone to this. And the world's telling us, our own flesh is telling us we're prone to self-sufficiency. And we're prone to self-reliance. And we reject the grace of God and therefore rob ourselves of joy. As one has said, if God had given us a thousand ways to be saved by grace, we would want one thousand and one. But God has declared us in the right by faith and faith alone. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we forget. We hear it and we forget. And every day we tend to put ourselves back on trial. Let's drag ourselves back in the courtroom even though the court's been adjourned. We stepped out of the courtroom not guilty, but we get amnesia. We keep walking back in. Because our default mode, but also everything around us just confirms this default mode. Report cards and scoreboards and job evaluations and academics and athletics and musical performances. The scorecard of social media. We live in a performance-based world, performance-based culture. And so much out there is performance then verdict. But in the gospel, we have the verdict and then the call to performance. So we've got to remind ourselves. We've got to keep hitting refresh. Every day, grace, grace, grace. So justification helps us see the heart of the Christian faith. The third H of why it's important is it's heavy. Heavy, and what do I mean by that? I mean it, it answers the most important question in the world. It's weighty in that sense. You know, justification is just one of many images of salvation given to us in the Bible. There's a lot of others we could talk about sanctification or adoption or reconciliation or washing or redemption or purchase or liberation or new birth or resurrection. There's all kinds. But more clearly than any, this image, this law court's metaphor of justification answers the most important question. Many questions to answer in life. Most of them are really small. You know, most of us have very few big questions to answer in our life. There's one really important question, and that is, what must I do to be saved? What is the basis of my standing before God? Why would a holy God let a sinful person like me in? And the question is especially pressing when we remind ourselves of God's holiness and our sinfulness. God's too holy to even look upon sin. He doesn't just wipe sin under the rug. He will punish every and all sin. He can't dwell with sinners. 
But according to Scripture, fallen humanity, we're prideful, selfish, judgmental, lustful, anxious, greedy, ungrateful, unforgiving, prayerless, covetous. We lack self-control. We're impatient. We're irritable. We're angry. We're jealous. We're gossip. We're discontent. We're bitter. We're impure. Not to mention all the things we should do but have left undone. All our sins of commission and omission. We're called to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we failed again and again and again. The prophet Isaiah says that apart from Christ, even our best deeds are like a filthy, polluted rag. Romans 3, we saw it. There are none good. There were none righteous, not even one. Romans 14, 23 says that whatever does not come from faith is sin. Anything we do, if it's not coming from faith, is sin. Friends, we are sinful. We're hopeless. We're helpless. We're doomed. We're damned. As Jonathan Edwards put it, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And we have to get this most important question. We've got to see ourselves as lost before we can be saved. Sin is our main problem. How can we stand before a holy and righteous God when we're sinful? We need a righteousness outside of us. And through Christ, we have it. See, the world gets it exactly opposite. They think we have an outer problem with an inner answer. Problems out there and we have the solution. And scripture is the opposite. We have an inner problem. In an outer solution, namely the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Fourth H, happiness. Justification is the foundation of happiness. At the end of the day, isn't that what we all want? Deep down, why do you do what you do? Excuse me. You want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. Every unbelieving pursuit of happiness, though, will fall flat. Why? Because of this necessary foundation, justification by faith alone. Our Anglican friends, their doctrinal statement is really good. It's called the 39 Articles. If I weren't Baptist, I'd be Anglican. I love the way they put it. It says this. Their statement, the 39 article, says this about justification by faith alone. We are accounted righteous before God only for the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by faith, and not for our works or deservings. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. Isn't that the truth? Horatius Bonar said this, Thy works, not mine, O Christ, speak gladness to this heart. They tell me all is done. They bid my fear depart. Pastor Jack Miller used to say, Cheer up. You're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. Cheer up. As the old hymn writer put it, well may the accuser roar of ills that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. 
sola fide is the key to happiness. This is why I want you to get it right. I mentioned the, one of my favorite pastors, a guy named David Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was in London, um, 60s, 70s, at his height. And uh, he wrote several books. Uh, most of them are very long. One's really good, and it's called Spiritual Depression. Spiritual Depression. And I don't remember when it was written, probably the 70s. And what do you think he starts with? This old, wise, seasoned pastor who bled Bible. What does he start his book on spiritual depression with? Chapter 2 is on the foundation. Justification by faith alone. And he says that miserable Christians, they're miserable because they base their justification on their sanctification. Meaning we think that God's love for us is dependent upon how we're doing. Justification, the fact that we're declared in the right, and sanctification, the ongoing process of becoming like Jesus. They go together. They always must go together. But they are distinct realities. Justification is our right standing with God. Sanctification is our ongoing transformation into the image of Jesus. In the book, Living the Cross-Centered Life, C.J. Mahaney says, justification means declared in the rights. With my kids, I'll say, justification, sanctification. Justification, sanctification. Justification is declared in the right. Sanctification is being made righteous over time. Justification is our position before God. Sanctification is our practice that continues. Justification is immediate. Sanctification is a progressive process. Justification is objective. It's outside of us and it's for us. Sanctification is within us. Justification is a change of status. Sanctification is a change of character. Our New City Catechism, do you remember how it put it? It says this, justification means our declared righteousness before God. Sanctification means our gradual growing righteousness. We never grow in justification. When you put faith in Jesus Christ, you are declared sins forgiven, past, present, and future. You can be no more justified. Justification is an act of the Father based on the work of the Son. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit to conform us to the image of the Son. If we get justification and sanctification confused, we will lack joy. Why? Why do I say that? Well, because you have good days and you have bad days. And when you think that your standing before God is based upon you in the bad days, you will be robbed of all joy and assurance. We'll be depressed if we base our justification on our sanctification. But when we know, even on our worst day, even when we blow it, that God looks down upon us and he doesn't see our mess and our imperfections and our sin, but he sees his son and he says... Of his son, in you I am well pleased. We can smile and get up. It makes all the difference in the world. We can fight sin as justified sinners. I share this quote all the time. i got to share it again, my favorite Luther quote. When sin comes, how should we respond? He says this. When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? 
Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. In his commentary on Galatians, he says this. On the contrary, when you say I'm a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself so that I can cut your throat with your own sword and tread you under my feet. For Christ died for sinners. Moreover, you yourselves preach God's glory to me, for you remind me of God's fatherly love toward me that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How do you respond when you sin and when the devil rightly accuses you? When the devil accuses you and he's right, do you preach the gospel? You know what? You're right. It's probably worse than you even know, but I know one named the Son of God. The right man is on my side. Question 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism. How are you right with God? The answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commands and of never having kept any of them, and even though I'm still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. Justification by faith alone is the foundation of happiness. I wonder, is this your experience? Do you appropriate sola fide on the daily? Because if you don't, you're not living in the fullness of joy the Lord would have to you. It's my prayer that the testimony of John Bunyan would be the testimony you share. Let me close by reading what Bunyan says. The author of Pilgrim's Progress. He says, one day as I was passing into the field, suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I thought that I could see Jesus Christ at God's right hand. Yes, there indeed was my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say about me that I did not have righteousness. For it was standing there before him. I also saw that it was not my good feelings that made me righteous, made my righteousness better, and that my bad feelings did not make my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday and today and for forever. Now, indeed, the chains fell off my legs, and I was loosened from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. So that from that time forward, those dreadful scriptures terrified me no more. Now I went home rejoicing because of the grace and love of God and went to my Bible to look up where the verse was found that said, Thy righteousness is in heaven, but I could not find it. And so my heart began to sink again until suddenly there came to my remembrance. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, Who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. From this, I saw that the other sentence was also true. I lived here sweetly at peace with God through Christ for a long time. 
There was nothing but Christ before my eyes. I was not thinking of him now only as concerning his blood, his burial, or his resurrection, but I was thinking of Christ himself and that he sat there on the right hand of God in heaven.